Hello, friends, and welcome back to the To the Heights podcast, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Olivia Colombo, and I am a young Catholic changemaker who is so very excited to be entering into season three of this project of interviewing young Catholics and young changemakers who are truly reaching to the heights in their own lives and doing something good in this world. Our podcast is titled after the catchphrase of Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati, which is verso le alto and means to the heights. He is a young Italian soon-to-be saint who's known for his work caring for the poor and the vulnerable in his own community and also for his love of mountain climbing. These are people who I have encountered in my work in activism, um, public speaking, and so many other places who are just truly and deeply beautiful human beings um, who are reaching to the heights in their own little communities, in their own schools, in their own ways. Um, and I am so blessed to have crossed paths with them. Season three has a little bit of a different twist. The title of season three, which is the first season to have a title, is called Hope in Humanity, and it's something that we certainly need in this specific time. It has a little bit more of a focus on social justice um, and people who are activists, um, who are making change, who are starting orphanages and caring for the homeless and all sorts of crazy, amazing things. Um, Just people who I am truly inspired by um, and who I would like to share with you, but also dig a little deeper into their stories and figure out what fuels them, what inspires them, what keeps them going when they're overwhelmed with the darkness of the world, what makes them want to keep bringing light. I've certainly struggled as an activist with so many, there are so many things um, when you're working for justice in the world that can get in the way, um, whether that's burnout, whether that's feeling overwhelmed. Um, activism communities are tricky. Service work is tricky. Um, and these are people who are in that mess. In, I love our guest today. She says something. They are in the rubble of the earth. That is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and we have a conversation about beauty and about what's, how it's important not to glorify suffering, but how there can be so much beauty in the tender moments that are found in serving. So, our guest for today is Carly Anderson, who I, I loved recording this episode with her so, so much. Um, I don't think I have smiled this much in recording an episode in a long, long time. Um, Carly is a campus minister at BC, um, and I met her in her role there as the campus minister for For Boston. For Boston is a service organization on campus that you will learn about a little bit later. Um, but basically, it has over 700 students involved, so it is the largest service organization on campus by far. And everyone has different placements. I my placement is at the Carter School, which hopefully later in the season we will hear a little bit more about. Um, but the Carter School is um, the special needs school in the Boston public school system for the most severe disabilities. Um, and I worked their swim shift, which was an absolute delight um, working at a nearby hospital. Um, and the kids would come and we'd get them out of their wheelchairs and they would just be able to be free and swim in the water. Um, and most of the kids were older, about my age, um, so it was so good to be a peer to them, to swim with them, um, to walk them around the pools, um, throw beach balls around, and it was truly a light every Monday morning. Um, and I, I learned a lot. I've done a lot of service work in a lot of different places, particularly Haiti is a really special place to me, um, as is homeless ministry in Boston. Um, the Carter School challenged me and pushed me Um, in ways that I did not expect it to. Um, And it certainly humbled me. And Carly and I get to talk a little bit about that. So without further ado, um, here is Carly's story of reaching to the heights. All right, I am here with a very exciting guest. Would you like to introduce yourself, your name, and what your job is? My name is Carly Anderson, and I am the campus minister for For Boston in the Office of Campus Ministry at Boston College. Yes, Um, and I did 4B for the first time this past year at the Carter School, Um, and it was very lovely, so I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about For Boston, um, how you ended up 
at BC, your journey leading up to then. Um, and I know I just have a lot of questions for someone who's doing something that maybe I would like to do later in life. Let's do um, it. Yeah. All right. So would you like to tell us a little bit about what For Boston actually is? So For Boston is so many things. It is Boston College's largest weekly community engagement service organization. Students spend roughly four hours engaged in some type of supportive community work at any of our partners, um, which broadly fall into the categories of education, healthcare, and social service. And in addition to that, those hours um, across the city of Boston, students also spend an hour in small group reflection, unpacking their experiences in small communities and sharing life with each other um, in reflection around our three pillars of community spirituality and social justice. That's a pretty good, pretty good description right there. <laughs> pretty down pat. Um, all right, so I wanna shift gears. We're gonna get back to Fort Austin eventually, but would you like to tell me a little bit about where you're from, where you went to school, what did you major in? Where did kind of your passion for social justice begin? Absolutely, I grew up outside of Boston in Westford, Massachusetts, so not too far from Chestnut Hill. Um, and my journey to college took me out to the Midwest, to South Bend, um, where I, I did my undergrad at Notre Dame, um, which I loved. Mm -hmm. I was a history major there because I was really interested in stories and how we tell stories and what stories we choose to tell. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up spending time in Lexington and Concord, so I think the local history of the New England area felt really pertinent to me, and that yeah. was something that captivated my imagination. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, so I, while at Notre Dame, I took theology classes. I um, got advice from a professor to supplement my humanities major with the curiosity of other disciplines. So I, I was able to take sociology and philosophy and theology, um, which really helped me deepen the questions I was asking. Um, but I wasn't specifically attuned to questions of faith or particularly social justice activism at that time. Mm -hmm. um, my plan was to go to law school, maybe history for grad school, um, maybe be a teacher. Yeah. Um, but the journey is never linear. Um, <laughs> yes. So I had, I had a professor who was a really good mentor and friend who, as I was nearing graduation, really encouraged me to consider post-grad service as an option. Um, so I was looking into the ACE program, um, as well as um, a program on a reservation in New Mexico. Um, and I was also in conversation with the president of a Nativity Miguel school out on the East Coast in Connecticut. Um, so as I was discerning all of these different options, um, my heart was really pulling me to come back East, to come home where my roots were. Um, so after graduation, I ended up moving to New Haven, Connecticut to join a cohort of young teachers at a Nativity Miguel model middle school. And that's where I worked as a guidance counselor, after school program coordinator, pseudo Mary Poppins um, <laughs> for a few years. I had intended to stay for one year and uh, one year became four because I, I fell in love with the students and the model and um, the administrators and the community that I was learning a lot from. Um, so my time at St. Martin's um, drew me deeper into questions of theology and meaning and purpose and community and who were called to be um, as men and women who claim to follow the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, so it was during that time that I discerned to pursue graduate study in theology um, and being in New Haven and being embedded in that community um, really tipped the scales for me to do that work um, in New Haven at Yale. Um, so I was able to continue working at the school and being part of that community while I was um, kind of shuttling back and forth to my grad school classes. Nice. Um, and at the end of grad school, I was really committed to primarily looking for jobs in K-12 education and nonprofit and community organizing work. Um, so higher education wasn't really on the map. Um, I was looking at a couple campus minister positions um, and Boston College had always been on my radar having grown up in the Boston area. Um, 
but it, th that wasn't my predominant focus. Yeah. Um, so as I was job searching, the campus ministry office had a few vacancies. So I, I applied and, and threw my resume into the pile. And um, even as I was interviewing, I don't think at the time for Boston had been posted. So I think the, the jobs that, that were open at that time were for um, retreats and the Arupe program, which are both fantastic yeah. positions. Um, but as, as I was having these conversations, I was recognizing that my gifts and talents um, kind of pointed in adjacent ways yeah. to um, what, what those programs demand. Um, and a few weeks after I had my initial conversation with some folks at BC, Chris Darcy called me and he said, so what about this for Boston program? What do you think? And, and my heart said, yes, that's, yeah. that makes sense. Um, because these questions about how, how do cities and communities work? Um, what types of work are organizations called to supplement to uphold the dignity of people? Um, what does volunteering look like? What is good volunteering? Mm -hmm. um, and how do we walk with one another as we try to untangle these knots of systemic injustices that we are all living through? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that to me is so much of what For Boston is. And um, it has been an utter joy mm -hmm. to learn from and grow with For Boston students over the past four years. Um, and, and bring my experiences to this program while also getting to learn and hear um, the experiences that so many students bring, bring to the table. Um, we have almost 700 student participants. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a lot of stories and a lot of yeah. places. Yeah. And, and it's a gift to even get a glimpse of what that, what that is. Mm, that's so beautiful and such a beautiful journey. Um, I do want to circle back to the the difference between volunteering and good volunteering at some point that that is something for sure um i've never asked this question but where did for boston start where did it come from do you have yeah. a little bit of the story to share absolutely that was my first question too yeah so when i arrived on campus the summer of 2016 um which seems like a long time ago yeah um, that was that was my first project to, to really learn what the spirit of For Boston was and what its story was. Um, For Boston was founded by a group of intrepid students and a campus minister in 1992. Carrie um, Maloney was the campus minister for For Boston at the time. She now is over at Harvard Divinity School. And uh, it started as a student organization. So um, Carrie was the uh, staff or faculty advisor, but it wasn't a program in the Office of Campus Ministry in the way that it is today. Um, and it was a small group of a few dozen students who wanted to do ongoing community engagement at sites across the city and also spend that time in, in small communities to share and grapple with that work. Um, so with Carrie, that's kind of where the seeds were planted and eventually the program was moved into campus ministry and um, there have been a number of campus ministers who have shepherded for boston over the years carrie maloney um, dan Leahy, um, who is was left boston college but leaves uh, a long legacy behind um, ellen modica worked with for boston for a really long time um, chris darcy and rick rossi both worked with for boston before me so um, I was grateful to learn from so many different folks who had helped shape for Boston's history and have left their fingerprints on the program um, and also try to enliven it with um, my own creativity and what I bring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, why don't we circle back to the, the good volunteering? Do you want to talk about how, like, how is for Boston service a little bit different than other volunteer organizations that we might have been exposed to in high school or... I don't know, just other organizations that are floating around campus. Yeah, in some ways it's not, in that the, the structure um, is very typical of what volunteering is. You sign up, you're given a shift, you show up, you fold clothes or chop onions or make a meal or do math homework, and you clock out, and then you come home. Um, the way that I approach thinking about volunteering, though, is um, 
to try and engage both the work and the spirit. Um, and the spirit for me is how do we approach this time and, and what does this mean? Um, is this a line on our resume? Is this something that can we, we can check off as a um, good person item on our daily or weekly to-do list? Um, or is this a piece of our becoming? Yeah. Um, what does it mean to enter a community as a guest? What does it mean to arrive as a learner first? Um, what does it mean to be a member of a privileged organization? Um, you are, you're a Boston College student, which brings with it all sorts of connotations and assumptions about education and language and access to ideas. Um, what does it mean to say, maybe I don't know what's going on here and I, I'm not super informed and maybe someone who doesn't have the fancy degree that I'm gonna walk out of Boston College with knows a lot more than I do. Um, and how can I sit at their feet and, and learn from that? Um, and, and how does that challenge your ideas about what knowledge is and, and um, what expertise means? Um, so that's not something that can be done in a week or a semester or even a year. Um, I think the gift of For Boston is that it makes available sustained encounters. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you go to St. Francis House for a day, they'll put you to work and you'll probably do something that contributes to the overall function of their organization, which matters. Um, but if you go to St. Francis House for four years, you might not remember how many onions you've chopped or how many <laughs> socks you've paired, but mm -hmm. hopefully you've met some people who have radically challenged your notions of what's good and true and have told you stories that you'll carry with you well beyond the last time you clock in for a shift. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the spirit. Yeah. That's, that's what molds our hearts and, and helps us become. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've had a similar conversation somewhat recently with um, my youth group that goes to Haiti every so often. And I was reflecting on how special it is when you get a group of kids that when you ask them about their service experience, like their first answer isn't like, well, we built a house or we, we did this for these people. It was like, oh, I met this person who was so cool and she taught me how to do whatever. Or like, I met this homeless man and he told me his story and listened to this, like how special it is to have people um, who just love other people that deeply. And it's not about what you're doing. It's what you're like, you're just being with them. Yeah. yeah. And I think we're often challenged by the notion that we need to be productive in mm -hmm. order to be good. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, that's flawed in that we're, we're not fixing the system. Yeah we're not solving homelessness or we're not reinventing education or deconstructing the prison industrial complex mm -hmm. by the work we do in for Boston. Um, we're bearing witness to those injustices and participating in the necessary and good work of other folks who have made it their life's work to try and rebuild and reform systems that in large parts are broken. Yeah. And I think by, by be, bearing close to that brokenness, um, that helps break our hearts a little in the best way. Um, and, and like, like that Arupe poem or prayer says it, it, it changes us. It affects who we vote for and what we read and what jobs we take and who our friends are and what conversations we want to engage in. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I definitely my first semester, it like, it challenged me more than I thought it would. And in a very different way, like, I feel like I was used to being like, I don't know, pr productive, I guess, in service. Um, and my placement just wasn't, I don't know, it was different than I expected. I was on the swim shift at the mm -hmm. Carter School. Mm -hmm. So, and there were so many weeks where like, we just were not needed <laughs> or we didn't feel needed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know, 
I learned, it was much more of sitting at the feet of people who have changed special education in Boston. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting to kind of reconcile, like in my own heart that I feel like I'm kind of useless in this situation because I don't really know how to help. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, like something's clearly moving and changing in me because like I transferred to Lynch. <laughs> I yeah. started looking at special education. Like, wow. so I don't know. Some something's moving, even if it's not like felt and understood, and like even if you don't feel productive. Um, yeah. And and I I commend you for your attentiveness to those whispers. Thank um, you. And sometimes sitting at a pool and just chatting mm-hmm. with a kid who's waiting for his or her turn, or a teacher who's trying to make it through to the end of the day mm-hmm. for the hundredth time that yeah. year. There, there's grace in those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Just like chatting with those people and like, I don't know, being a peer um, to even the younger teachers was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have some questions about um, a lot of the work in For Boston and just like, I feel like this is especially timely with what's going on in the world. A lot of this stuff is really, really heavy. Um, and it's really easy, I feel like, for the people who are attentive to these issues um, to get overwhelmed by them and to feel like we want to change the world so bad and we want to, like, hold everyone and just, um, it's so, so overwhelming how many systems need to be fixed and how many people need to be held. Um, What do you, what, like, keeps you from getting discouraged and overwhelmed by all of the darkness? I don't know. What, yeah, what keeps no. you going? Uh, generally the work and the words of poets and prophets who are far wiser than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of my favorite authors at a talk um, quoted uh, a line from Job where God says to Job, have you commanded the dawn? Um, and as a recovering control freak myself, um, who often believes that I have the capability to bend systems and structures to my will. And if I just work hard enough Mm -hmm. or believe in it enough, I can move the needle. Um, I think that's where faith comes in, in that we are are pencils in the hand of God. Um, And we are are not uh, here to command the storm. Um, we're here to march through it and bear witness and accompany one another through it. Um, one of my favorite poets is Wendell Berry, mm-hmm. um, who I love so dearly. Um, and one of my favorite poems of his is the Mad Farmer Liberation Front Manifesto that you may have heard me talk about. I, I try to weave it into as many yeah. talks as I possibly mm-hmm. can. Um, and he has a line Uh, And it's a long poem, but he has a line in it where he says, be joyful though you have considered all the facts. And Mm -hmm. I love that so much um, because we're challenged to consider all the facts, to educate and inform ourselves, to be wide-eyed to the brokenness of the world, um, to our collective sinfulness, to our personal sinfulness, um, and the ways in which we largely walk around wounding, wounding each other. Yeah. So we're called to consider all the facts, but we're also called to be joyful. Be joyful though you have considered all the facts, to look at everything, to see the brokenness, to stand amidst the rubble of the world and find find joy nonetheless, in spite of, because of all of of that which seems heavy and hard. Um, And I think that's a lot of the work of activism, of holding that joy loosely, very closely with brokenheartedness. Um, Because no matter what your project is, whether it's anti-racism or reform for prisoners or the disabled community or students or the elderly or the LGBT community or any marginalized group, it's, it's a long road. And there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged. but we are called to be the light of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, We are the light of the world. 
um, if we believe in the gospel and um, creating moments of joy, whether that's sitting with a hot cup of coffee, mm -hmm. looking at the sun come through the window, noticing a flower, having a, a great conversation with a kid at the edge of a swimming pool. Um, it, it's all around us if we can be attentive to it. Um, and, and having faith in the journey. I think knowing that we're not meant to do it alone. Um, we were not made to be in isolation. We were made to be in community with one another. Um, and I draw my hope from the community of students who I see um, challenging systems for change and going into Boston every week to bear witness to that brokenness, but then come back to campus and gather together in dorm rooms or classrooms or chapels um, to just be with each other in joy. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, that is pretty good. And yeah, I love that. Um, just like resting in like, I don't know, just kind of looking around wide-eyed, like you said, marveling at like how beautiful the brokenness can be, as odd as that is, like the mess that humans are and are in and like there's something so beautiful and artistic about it um and holding that as kind of the hope and the joy and like I don't know I just keep thinking about Haiti that like I don't know just like chasing the kids around in the streets but all around us are like a polluted river and falling down shacks and like um there's something, there's something beautiful about how the people are living amidst it um, and, and kind of the spirit, the spirit that surrounds it. I yeah. Know. I think it's important not to sanctify or romanticize suffering. Yeah. And also there's so much growth and, and birth that happens through suffering. Yeah. Um, I think glorifying suffering is largely problematic yeah um, and can and can pull us down roads that we don't want to go down um but but change is painful mm. birth is painful um anything new requires us to move through spaces of discomfort yeah and um and i think learning from each other and treating all experiences as teachers um, and keeping our eyes and ears open to the movements of the spirit. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I try to do. Yeah. That's so good. So very good. Um, all right. So you mentioned poets. Um, what are some other role models, inspirations? What are some other things that kind of fill you with that hope and the spirit to keep going? Poetry is one of my favorite ways to pray, as I've said. Um, the words of Wendell Berry, the words of Mary Oliver. Mm -hmm. um, there is a poem by an Israeli poet named Yehuda Amakai that I, I hold pretty dear. Um, it's called The Place Where We Are Right. Mm -hmm. And it's very short and it goes like this. Um, the place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. But doubts and loves dig up the earth like a mole, a plow, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. And I think about those words a lot. Uh, I think that that's a poem that I came to during grad school and has maintained a certain salience for me in different chapters of my life. Um, because I think whenever I charge into a space from a place where I'm right, capital R, right, absolutely certain, yeah. um, I close off my heart to learning mm -hmm. and I close off my ears to the experiences and stories of others um, mm -hmm. that are different from mine. And that's not love. Um, love is open, 
and porous and full of doubt. Um, and I think that that's also part of the mystery of faith that um, our faith helps us leap into this realm of mystery in love. Um, and if we can hold that loosely and move through our days with humility mm -hmm. and um, an openness to learning, that's, that's where the whisper yeah. uh, can be heard. Mm. Um, and, and I love the image of the ruined house too, in that it's, it's never too late. Yeah. It's never too late to say, yeah, I, uh, sorry about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, I came into that conversation a little hot, didn't I? <laughs> um, maybe I have something to learn here. Um, can you teach me? Yeah. Um, so I, I will often say that poem to myself like a prayer. Um, so poetry is, is definitely a, a song line of my mm -hmm. heart. Um, and also the lives of the saints, yes. um, holy men and women who have done a whole lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, some of it good, some of it not so good. Yeah. Um, some of it inspiring, some of it not so inspiring. Um, and when I, when I think about the communion of saints, I think about um, men and women who are canonized, but also a lot of men and women who aren't part of that official canon, but whose, whose lives I think have left footprints on the world and, and on my heart. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe that's the old school history major in me <laughs> uh, who, who still loves a good story. Yeah. Uh, but those are my teachers. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And I think about that a lot. Like how many, I don't know, how many unnamed people are, I don't know. I, I think there would be great joy in being an unnamed saint. Like yeah. someone who knows, I don't know, you can rest in the comfort in heaven knowing that you have left those footprints um, and like paved the way for other named saints. Well, for those of us who are part of the Roman Catholic tradition, that's part of our baptismal call Yeah, to, to sainthood and yeah. to be ordinary, unnamed, unknown saints by trying a little bit every day um, mm -hmm. to bear closer to that spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I think there's also something special about wanting, wanting to be unnamed and anonymous a little bit, only known by God and those in heaven. Like, I don't know, especially after working in more like public activism for so many years, like the spotlight, the spotlight isn't good for anyone. And like, there's so much comfort and not being in the spotlight um, and just being able to be good because you want to be, you know what I mean? Just loving in such quiet, beautiful ways um, and have no one watching. Well, that's particularly true for us introverts too. Yes, I agree for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I have an introvert type question, Great. but this is something that's been on my heart and mind recently. Did you when you were going through school, whether that was like younger grade school or even in college, were you an academic type person or, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase this. Academic type person is not the right way to phrase this. Did you, like, I find myself so often, like, I am definitely academically minded, mm -hmm. um, but I just can't wait to get through school so that I can be out in the world. And I know that there's a fine balance between, like, I need to be where I am and like be present to those around me and that this is not, I don't need to wait to mm -hmm. like serve, mm -hmm. but I don't know. What advice would you have for someone who just like, who just wants to get up and move to Haiti and like not jump through the hoops of academia anymore? Well, I'd say go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, to maybe rewind to the beginning of your question, I, I loved school. Um, I loved books as long as I can remember. I was mm -hmm. a really shy kid. I was a very quiet and reflective yeah. kid. Um, so I, I read all of the Nancy Drews mm -hmm. and my happiest place was in a tree or tucked in a corner or in my backyard, nose in a book, yeah. hiding <laughs> from the rest of the world. Um, 
So stories, literature, history, all of that fascinated me. And I also, um, like I said, I, I love structure. So school and rules, I was, you give me a rule and I'll follow it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I did pretty well through our traditional metrics of education. Um, I think as I got further along in, in schooling, I began to realize that the game was rigged. In yes. That, uh, it, 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 are we, what are we learning and for whose sake? Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, a liberal arts education has much to offer it in exposing students to a wide array of disciplines um, to cultivate a breadth to be good citizens of the world. Um, and of course, we all institutions of learning want to prepare students for vocational discernment in, in terms of a career um, or whatever life path they want to follow. But I was always a breadth person. I just wanted to read as much as I could and soak it all in. Um, and in, in grad school, I remember feeling that tension because I was working at St. Martin's really hard. Um, and the, the nature of the school was that I, I could have spent every hour of the day investing in, in projects and students and families um, and still not had enough time to do what we wanted to do. Um, but I was also a full-time student and I wanted to be present to my ideas and my classmates and my homework. <laughs> um, and there's a tension there. And I think in, at some moments I was fully present to neither. Um, in my best moments, I was able to be fully present to one at a time. Um, but I think that's a challenge for students. And my advice would be to allow yourself to be where you are and to know that everything is temporary. Um, and it is a gift to have your job be to think about and discuss and write about ideas. Um, that's an incredible gift that a lot of folks don't have the opportunity to experience. Um, and for some students, they may not have the opportunity to experience again. So I, I definitely empathize with an impatience to dive into the quote, real world. Mm -hmm. um, but the real world is always there. Yeah. And also the ideas are always there. Um, there, are, there are always opportunities to um, come back to the life of the mind and find communities to grapple with. Um, for Boston's not an academic program. Um, there's no credit affiliated with it. Um, but my hope is that students are having critical conversations with each other that emerge organically from their experiences and their time together. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to move to Haiti, move to Haiti. Yeah. Uh, don't tell your mom I said that because <laughs> uh, my mom would be really mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, Haiti will also always be there. Yeah. Um, I think the question that I would challenge you or any student to is discernment of your own heart. Because yeah. um, it's not about Haiti and it's mm -hmm. not about school. Um, it's about what you're longing for and yeah. um, what lessons you need to learn to become the you you're called to be. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's in Haiti. Maybe that's in Chestnut Hill. Maybe that's in downtown Boston. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go halfway around the world to find your becoming. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do, maybe you do, um, but there are so many ways to make that journey. Mm. Yes, all of that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. When you were talking about um, trying to kind of juggle being full-time student, but also like having more work more things that you could do um, to invest in that community than there were hours in the day. How do you, and what would your advice be for someone who is struggling with kind of like the activism, social justice, investing in a community, um, and also keeping themselves healthy and caring for themselves? And where do you find that balance? What do you do to unwind and separate um, from all of that? Boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> Boundaries. Um, I worked with a woman at St. Martin's who 
um, had a young family and um, she and I were, were co-workers in managing and cultivating this after-school program that technically ran from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Um, but frequently students would show up before 2 or stay well after 6. And um, it was our common practice to just engage, engage the day for as long as the day took, mm -hmm. whenever that time started and whenever it ended. Um, so there were frequently days where I was driving students home or locking up well after six o'clock into, into seven or even later. Um, but what I really learned from and admired this colleague for was there were many days where six o'clock would come, she would close down her computer, she would say goodnight to the students and to me, and she'd say, I have to go home to my family, and she would leave. And sometimes I would be like, this room is on fire. There are 17 things happening. There's homework and transportation and someone's rehearsing for a play and someone else needs a lacrosse stick and someone else needs a permission form signed. You can't leave. Um, but I, I, in hindsight, stand in awe of her presence and knowing um, how to give all of herself during the time that she had and also being able to transition even in the chaos of, of what that classroom was at the end of the day, um, to saying, no, now this is time that I have to give to my other community, to my family, to myself. Um, and I think that that practice modeled for me um, was really important. There are always gonna be times where you get a call that you need to drop everything. And, and, and that happens. Um, that happens in campus ministry, that happens in teaching, in any number of professions where you're caring for others. But there are a lot of times where it can wait, it can wait until tomorrow. Um, that, that email or issue or concern will still be present in 12 hours and you can pick it up then. Um, so the discernment of knowing what requires critical and immediate action mm -hmm. and what can wait, I think is a, is a practice to cultivate. Um, and then the, the ability to, with the stuff that can wait, to let go. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of, some of our ego in being productive and being attentive and being rigorously engaged um, pushes us to, to, to do it all as soon as we can. And that's a good instinct. Um, but often that instinct works at cross purposes of our own flourishing and the flourishing of other communities because yes, there are all of these systems that we're fighting and communities we're fighting for, um, but what about our friend community? What about our family community? What about our heart community? Um, what about our relationship with God? Um, how do we create quiet time outside of the clamor of the work? To cultivate those spaces because we can't we can't serve or love um if if we're not filling our own heart first yeah yep that <laughs> yeah um so transitioning a little bit from that but in your time that you've spent at poor boston has any of it changed your heart, changed how you think about things? Um, I don't know, changed where you might want to go next? Mm, I miss, I miss engaging directly with the community partners in, in the same sense that I, I was when I was working and living in New Haven. Um, I, I engage all of our community partners, and I think one of the great privileges of my work with For Boston is being positioned that I get to witness and support so many different agencies across the city. Um, but because we have so many partners and so many students, um, my engagement is mostly operational yeah. and managerial. Um, and I think that, that that serves an important role. Um, but in some ways, I miss I miss the contact of chopping the onions yeah. and, and folding the socks and and doing math homework, um, and and I think that um, 
is, is a little bit my own ego in um, that it feels good to draw near to, to communities. Um, and my, my reminder to myself in this work is that we need, we need people at all levels. Um, and when a student comes to me and says, we, we didn't really do that much at service today or, or at my volunteer shift, we, we made phone calls or we copied flyers and I, I didn't get to spend that much time with students or I didn't get to engage with patients or guests. Um, what I always say is that, yeah, <laughs> that's the work. Um, and a lot of times the work isn't sexy. It's not mm -hmm. um, that beautiful moment of connection with another human being or um, seeing the face of God in a child or a resident. Um, it's stapling mm -hmm. or stuffing a million envelopes or sitting alone in a room while you pair socks. Um, and, and I think that tedium, um, recognizing that as part of the work and in service to these organizations that are doing broader work to support marginalized communities matters because mm -hmm. that's why we have to check our egos at the door. Um, so I think that is one of the ways that for Boston has challenged me and, and deepened me in affirming that for myself and modeling that for our students. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I alluded to this before, but just the witnessing, being able to see the work that's happening across the city um, of all of our different partners who are very unique, each one of them, um, and all of our students whose stories are equally varied. Um, so getting to glimpse all of those pieces of the mosaic and, and having brief moments to step back and, and see it all working together, um, it affirms me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it challenges me to think about how, how do I wanna continue becoming? I don't have that answer. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that it involves drawing near to um, good stories and good teachers. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said about like, I don't know, there needs to be, there's so many levels and it's not going to always be you on the ground. Um, and I feel like one of the the difficulties that I've faced in figuring out if like, I don't know, just feeling restless, kind of like sitting in a classroom with so many people who are like me and just mm -hmm. wanting to be out and like doing things. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know. I had a moment first semester. I was taking a journalism class. I'm a journalism minor. Um, and I totally thought first semester, I was like, I'm going to be a journalist. And then I realized that I was tired of talking about things and not being able to interact with them. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my big projects for one of my classes was um, reporting on a situation at a homeless shelter in Boston that I volunteered at since high school. Mm -hmm. And I have a very special relationship with the people there. Um, but I was so frustrated that I was just reporting about it and not, not getting to be there, um, and be with those people and like actually change the things that I was kind of like investigating and criticizing, um, in this article. But also there is kind of an internal struggle of like, maybe this is a good and holy thought that like, yes, like I, maybe I'm not meant to be on the sidelines in this way. Um, but also at the same time, like. I don't know, maybe, maybe this, this effort is worth it in that I will better be able to help the people when I am ready to go out on the streets and when I'm ready to go out. Um, I don't know. And I think it's probably the answer is probably a very fine balance between the two. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and knowing that we, we all have gifts to mm -hmm. contribute. Um, there's, I, I talk with a lot of students who are discerning post-grad service, which I'm a huge advocate for because it, it changed my life and um, formed my vocation in, in significant ways. But that's not the only way. Mm -hmm. uh, we need journalists to be standing to the side offering unbiased accounts yeah. of the world with, with unflinching eyes. We need doctors and nurses who are rushing in 
and helping heal people's bodies with their hands. We need lawyers who are studying the systems to be able to fight for people in the courts. We need politicians who are out there galvanizing communities. We need business people who are engaging in thoughtful practices and reforming structures within private sector organizations that uphold unjust systems and structures and investing in good causes with capital. Uh, we need teachers, we need thinkers, we need monastics, we need artists, we need activists. There's, there's no one right way to seek for and fight for justice mm -hmm. in the world. Um, and I think it's easy to get caught up in the, in the idea that if, if you're not ad, doing advocacy in this way, mm -hmm. you're not doing it, or, or this is the only way advocacy can look, can look like. Um, you tell me what career you are moved to pursue, and, and I'll tell you how you can transform the world by applying your gifts in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, we don't need everyone to look the same. Yeah. We need everyone to know themselves mm -hmm. and feel enlivened yeah. by the gifts they were given to change the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to be fully alive and how they were made to set the world on fire. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I love that. And I think that's so, so important, um, especially in an organization like Fort Boston or any, I don't know, leading like youth service in a parish to make sure that people know that like the goal of like, I don't know, I keep talking about Haiti, but like the goal of a trip to Haiti is not so that every single kid on the trip will just like discern that they want to be a missionary. Like that is, that is so not it. Um, and same with Fort Boston. It's, it's really the spirit that you want them to capture and carry into how they were meant to live and be like a missionary in their own field. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And in their family or in their friend group. Um, yeah. our, we, are, we are complex people who live multifaceted lives. Um, and the more we can be conscientious about the little choices we make every day. What am I going to eat for dinner tonight? Mm -hmm. What do I want to watch on Netflix? How do I, I want to spend my weekend? Um, where do I want to go for my next vacation? Um, all, all of those compounding choices make up a life and our opportunities for us to lean more deeply um, into the heart of God that calls us to live justly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, live justly was the name of, there was a song that was written um, for um, the LA Congress that Lag got to sing at this past year with Meyer. And I don't know, that was the whole spirit of like everyone being sent out in different directions in different ways, like not just being sent out as missionaries, like in the exact same context, but being sent out to like blossom into very different looking flowers, um, which is a very beautiful image. Yeah, I love the image of a field of wildflowers. Mm, yes. Yeah, that's a very St. Francis sort of thing. Um, he's my confirmation saint. And I don't know, I, I love just his charism of like praising God for the little things and like making sure that all the brothers would leave a little patch in the garden that was exclusively for wildflowers just to come and go as they pleased. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have to wrap up in a minute, but there's something that we do on the podcast. Um, we do a little Catholic quick questions at the end, but right. I've changed it around a little bit for this season to better fit the theme of hope and humanity. Okay. Um, and I think it will be fun. So my first little question is, what is your favorite book or what book would you recommend to me and other listeners to read? Wow, that's totally unfair. I know. <laughs> yeah. Question? <laughs> I, I'm not a mother at this moment, but I imagine that's like asking a mom who her favorite child is. Anyway. <laughs> um, the best book that I have recently read um, in the last two weeks was um, Americana by um, Chimamanda Adichie. Um, it's a novel. And uh, it was just really richly written um, that engaged a lot of themes that mm. um, I found really uh, challenging and um, thought-provoking. Mm. So, okay. I don't know if that's my favorite book, but that is yeah. my 
current current favorite yeah that is absolutely how i would answer that question as well we did an episode a few months ago that um all of these questions were turned on me like my boss was like <laughs> we're gonna do an ask olivia episode and i was like i don't know the answers to these questions yet i've asked them like 50 times um, all right so maybe maybe this one is a current question as well but who would you say that your like activist role model would be mm, i'm a big fan of dorothy day yes me too big, i love her big fangirl there um and i i'm also a big fangirl of homeboy industries mm. uh, and and the spirit of what animates that work and the story of how that organization came to be yes um so mm -hmm. yeah quick answer <laughs> final answer yes <laughs> nice um what is your favorite hobby my favorite hobby i love karaoke Ooh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, in a in a previous life during my time in New Haven, I was part of a post grad acapella group. Um, so I I don't do acapella anymore, but I do love a good karaoke night. That that is a fun fact. I like <laughs> that. <laughs> um, where is your the favorite place that you have traveled to? My favorite place that I have traveled to. Wow, Olivia. Um, <laughs> I, I have been blessed to have had the opportunity to do a lot of travel in my life. Um, two that are coming to mind right now um, are uh, the cave churches in Cappadocia in Turkey. When I was a grad student, I got to go with a seminar class and we um, followed the route of St. Paul through Asia Minor um, to a lot of the different um, church communities where he was writing his epistles to. Um, and there were these caves in Cappadocia, which is a region in Turkey, um, that looked like a cave in the middle of the desert. And then we walked in and there were frescoes. And that mm. blew my mind. And um, I felt pretty near to the early church in a way that I hadn't uh, in other times and places. So that was really special. Mm. Um, Another place with another note um, is uh, Vieques Island in Puerto Rico. Um, my husband and I and some friends were able to go this past spring um, for a few days and it was quiet and beautiful and warm um, and I think a much needed retreat from, mm -hmm. from the chaos. So I, I felt really grateful to, to that island and that place. Um, for, for the ways in which it offered me a space of replenishment mm -hmm. um, and also opportunities to think about um, our, our country's legacy and relationship with the people of Puerto Rico and their um, conversations around statehood and um, sovereignty and all of that and what that means. Yeah, so, yeah. Two different answers. Yeah, but good, good and very unique ones with good reasoning. Um, what is one thing, this can be something really big, really, really small. What is one thing that's on your bucket list? Ooh. To live on a boat. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. That's very good. My husband's a sailor. Oh, and I'm working at a sailing school. <laughs> I just... The connections abound, yes. Olivia. I know. Yeah. I spent most of my day rigging and de-rigging boats <laughs> over and over and over. Well, I'll have to come by sometime and you can you can show me so I can brush up a little bit. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm the marine science person and they're trying to teach me how to sail and it's just not fine. It's okay. I will talk about the horseshoe crabs and lobsters all day long. <laughs> um, all right. Last quick question. If you could be best friends with anyone saint, who would it be? No, oh, these are so hard. <laughs> They're rapid fire questions. Or maybe a few saints. I will allow many saints. Francis and Claire. Mm -hmm. Yes. Catherine of Siena. Another good one. Martin de Porres. Catherine Drexel. Mm. That's, those are, that's my like top five. That's a pretty solid Saint Squad right there. <laughs> yeah. One of my, um, 
one of my faith communities from grad school does a um, Saints March Madness bracket every <laughs> spring where it starts with a, a 32 and people vote. So it's like St. Francis versus St. Anthony. And whoever, whoever wins, get up to the, the big Saint matchup uh, towards the end of Lent. Um, so it's always fun to see who, who makes the list and where people's mm-hmm. preferences fall. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. We have a show on Catholic TV called Repent and Submit, and they kind of do a similar thing where two guys from like the Catholic Twitter community um, debate different saints and they like put on a mask of the saint and it's great. <laughs> like, I don't know, Claire and Francis were, that was quite the debate who was better, but yeah, super fun. All right. Well, this has been so wonderful and just, I don't know what was needed very much what was needed um and i'm thank you for being a bright spot in my quarantine (laughs) it is a joy and a pleasure to talk with you thank you so much for listening to this episode of the to the heights podcast and a big thank you to carly from the very bottom of my heart for being on this episode you are such a light and you are such a gift and i am so honored and blessed to have had the opportunity to have you on the podcast and share a little bit of your story of forby's story um and what you are bringing to this world i have a few few end of podcast announcements so hang in there there is one announcement um and statement that i have been thinking about for a long time and i think that with this new season that has focus on social justice, and especially with current events where people are taking a deeper look and refocusing, sometimes seeing for the first time um, systemic injustices and racism in our country and in our world, um, I think this is a very important statement to make. I've had a lot of people come to me um, and a lot of really important conversations surrounding episode two of season one, which had someone on it from Students for Life of America. Um, I actually resigned from my position with Students for Life of America's group on Boston College's campus um, earlier in the winter, um, partially because I had way too much on my plate and my mental health was suffering from that, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, Please take care of yourself. (laughs) Activists and social justice-inclined people have a tendency to put way too much on their plate, as do all Boston College students for the most part. Um, But also... Um, I am not afraid to say, and I think that we need to challenge each other to rise to the occasion um, and to point out when an organization is falling short. And I do believe that the views of the To the Heights podcast, my own views, um, and Catholic social teaching um, do not always line up with Students for Life, particularly during this period of time and especially surrounding some things that they have posted and said in the past year or so. Um, I have always been a pro-life person of the mentality that we should lead with love um, and not lead in ways just to pick fights. I think there's certainly a merit in um, saying bold things and getting people to kind of re-examine what they think um, by saying something bold and kind of, um, I don't know, but there isn't isn't that much room in the pro-life movement for aggression. Um, and anger, and the first word should always be out of love. I also very much and always have been very strong on the definition of the word pro-life. Pro-life does not mean anti-abortion. That is one very small piece and a very important piece of the pie, Um, but I think especially in our society, people tend to think that pro-life means we're saying something about abortion, but not always. Um, It means that we care about the sanctity of life from womb to tomb, from the moment of natural, um, from conception till natural death. Um, That includes the death penalty, um, very much against the death penalty, um, which not all um, supposedly pro-life anti-abortion groups like Students for Life are against. Um, All sorts of issues fall under the range of the term pro-life. That is not something that Students for Life has stood by in the past few months and in the past year. We at To The Heights um, and myself care wholeheartedly and deeply about all of the people who are suffering in this world. I most definitely 
would stand by the fact that I clump um, under the umbrella of pro-life, um, the issue of immigrants being separated from their families at the border, um, just all problems surrounding immigration, death penalty, prisons, homelessness, marginalized racism. There are so, so many injustices in our society that um, have to do with the dignity of life. Um, and pro-life should encompass all of that and should be led with compassion and love for all people involved. It should not be a black and white fight. Um, it should not be about anger and name-calling. Um, so I'm very sorry for any trouble or confusion um, that that episode has caused. Um, I don't think it's so much the content of the episode. Um, I think it's more so just the spirit of things that have been said by that organization since. I will continue to leave the episode up, um, and there will be a little disclaimer in the discussion or the description um, of the episode, but um, I don't know. Just all of those issues are so, so complex and so hard, um, and those conversations should be had with love. Um, I know when that organization came to campus, there was a lot of confusion um, and a lot more fighting than good that came out of it. Um, and I never want the podcast to be something that inspires fights, but rather inspiration at what other beautiful human beings are doing for our broken and messy world um, and the good that is coming out of it. So that is all I have to say there. Um, lead with love, love our fellow human beings um, in all stages of life and fight for justice in a good and holy way. In other news, um, season three is back in full swing. Um, so we will have new episodes every single Monday morning. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can always find them at grexley.com. Um, Grexley is the podcasting division of the Catholic TV Network based in Boston. We do have a Patreon, um, as well as a merch store for the podcast, which just makes me feel like a real podcaster. Um, super cool. Anyway, that can all be found on grexley.com. Um, and if you want to follow the podcast, we post all sorts of fun things, um, at To The Heights CTV. And that is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow me at OliviaRose underscore art or find more at OliviaRoseArt.com. I think that is all that I have. Um, I am so thrilled and excited about this little bit of a new direction, a little bit of a coming home um, for the podcast for season three, Hope and Humanity. And I will talk to you guys next week. Until then, keep on reaching to the heights.